episode number two. Welcome to this week's Disney Channel Discourse. Uh, this is the one where I actually start talking about things. First thing I want to say is that you might be able to hear a fan in the background, and that's because there is a fan sitting on the table blowing right at my face. And even though it might make the audio a little bit worse, uh, I have a hard time caring because at the moment, my home is the opposite of cold. And moving on, uh, actually, I wanted to, before we actually jump into this week's topic of discussion, which is really actually the first real topic of discussion I have, the first real episode we're doing, last week was kind of just an introduction, I'm going to be talking about Lemonade now. First, I want to, I want to say that um, first episode, personally, I think it went pretty well, except for uh, when I was actually, when I was like editing it afterward, listening to everything again, I've like two point, like at two, at least two separate points when I was talking about Pixel Perfect. I used the word emphasizing instead of empathizing. I was like, oh, fucking God. It was so frustrating, but I didn't want to go record it again. So that embarrassing mistake is just out in the open now for everyone to hear. And the other thing I want to mention is, like, I am kind of, I'm having a hard time figuring out, like, how I want to pace out the episodes in terms of, like, not, not like when I release them. I'm going to be releasing them on Tuesdays. That's my plan. But, like, there are 108 decoms that exist in the world right now soon to be 109 actually when upside down magic comes out on july 31st uh actually there are, you could also make the argument there are 106 depending on if you count radio rebel Sharpay's fabulous adventure it's a whole controversy not really a whole con no one really cares but anyway you get the idea somewhere around there most of them are on disney plus there are only a few that aren't maybe like around 10 so most of them are there also there are like 80 something original disney channel series dating back to 1995 and a big chunk of them are not on disney plus like i think like maybe about half of them give or take 10 or so so i'm trying to figure out like in terms of this this podcast when do i talk about a movie when do i talk about a show because i don't want to like just do the movies and run through all the movies then i'm just done talking about movies forever and i just go through like all the shows slowly i kind of want to go back and forth a little bit so i'm trying to figure out the pacing on that uh but i'm talking about a movie this week so I'll probably be talking about a show next week, very possibly with a guest, wink, wink, wink. Um, and so Lemonade Mouth. This is, I had last week, number six on my favorite DCOM list. And I also said in last week's episode that it had been a long time since I watched it. So I decided that night after I finished recording, hey, why don't I watch Lemonade Mouth? And it was better than I remembered it. I would probably, if I redid my, my DCOM list, I'd probably move it up to number five. I'd say probably not higher than that. It'd probably like jump over Teen Beach 2. Not higher than that. This is one of very few decoms that have actually aged like better with time. Like they're liked even more now than they were when they originally came out. This one, a little bit of background info, came out on April 15th, 2011. Uh, and there were 5.7 million viewers the night that it aired, which I mean, it's it's not elite for that era. It's, it's like average. There were five yeah there were five decoms that came out in 2011 uh there were like phineas and ferb across the second dimension had like seven point something million and like there was also what else was that year the sweet life movie was that year which was like a little bit less than lemonade mouth there were two other ones like oh, there was geek charming had like four point something and there was one more that had like more viewers than lemonade mouth and i can't remember what it is okay i want to look that up now because it's bugging me disney channel all right yeah then my suggested the wikipedia page yeah it says it says a little bit about me uh 2011 what was the other one good luck charlie it's christmas yeah good luck charlie it's christmas had 6.9 million viewers 
the night it premiered December 2nd. So out of the five that came out that year, Lemonade Mouth was right in the middle. So it wasn't well, like one of these movies like High School Musical or Camp Rock or in those that trilogy or Descendants where like they marketed it super heavily and everyone loved it and wanted to see it. It was just like, I don't know if they planned for it to be like an average decom or something because like sometimes they, Disney Channel doesn't even have a gauge for how popular a movie is going to be. But the fact that they they didn't market it so much, they didn't push it as much as a lot of other musical decoms around the same time, and that it's still consistently ranked very close to the top of decom lists, most decom lists, is a great testament to the quality of the movie. Honestly, it's kind of the opposite of Camp Rock, which was marketed very heavily, and so like 10-year-olds thought they loved it in 2008, but now as time has gone on, like it's kind of it's it's aged poorly and people not not that like there's problematic or anything with camp rock but it's just like people realize it really isn't that good what a lot of people don't know about lemonade mouth is that it's based on a book uh several other decoms are based on books like uh, geek charming's based on a book invisible sisters based on a book um there are a couple others uh this book came out in 2007 written by mark peter hughes and as with any book you turn into a movie there are a couple changes that get made um one really weird one is the names of the five main characters were all changed. Uh, Stella Penn is, was the character's name in the book, and it was changed to Stella Yamada for the movie. And that's probably something to do with Haley Kiyoko played Stella, and Haley Kiyoko is Japanese, so they made the character Japanese too, and therefore they gave her a Japanese-sounding last name. That's fair. But then they also they changed Olivia Whitehead to Olivia White. Okay. They changed Mohini Banerjee to Mohini Banjari, which seems like a, a small change. And if you want to talk about small changes, Wendell Gifford, spelled with one L in the book, in Wendell, has two L's in Wendell in the movie, which is something I didn't even realize till I was looking at the Wikipedia page that Wendell had two L's in the movie. And the last one, Charlie Hirsch, was changed from Charlie Hirsch to Charlie Delgado in the movie, which is a, I don't know, I, don't, I have no idea why they want to change that last name. Maybe they changed Stella, and then they felt like they wanted to change Olivia too. So they're like, hey, why don't we just change all of them a little bit? Uh, so those, this is, I think, probably the only decom that has like five main characters. Like most of them have like two, maybe three leads. You could make the argument that like Teen Beach has four leads, but like like five is a lot to to balance and to like keep a good balance between and make sure that like no character really gets the short end of the stick, which Charlie kind of did a little bit. It wasn't too egregious, but it was there. And the five actors who played them, Bridget Mendler and maybe Adam Hicks were the only two that really had like people knew who they were beforehand. Bridget Mendler had been on good luck Charlie for like a year already at that point. And of course she had been on wizards as a, as a recurring role as Juliet before that. So she was pretty popular. Adam Hicks played Luther on Zeke and Luther, which uh, people probably recognized him a little bit. Haley Kiyoko had been on like like some Scooby-Doo thing, I think, and she was on a couple episodes of Wizards. Naomi Scott had like barely anything. She had been in like one show, and this was like her, her first big thing. And now, obviously, she's been in tons of stuff. She played, uh, she played Jasmine in the live-action Aladdin. And Blake Michael, he hadn't really been in much either, but he was actually, he was 14 years old when this movie was being filmed, which people are kind of only realizing around now, so... Yeah, I guess that's a pretty good explanation for why he hadn't done much. And it's funny because, like, in most decoms and most kids' movies, you'll have people who are, like, 19, 20 years old playing 17-year-olds. And then, all of a sudden, Blake Michael is here doing the opposite because he looks so much older than he actually was. He was 14, and he was playing, like, 
I'm not I'm not exactly sure how old they are in the movie, but but Mo does say like college college is a few years away, so they're not seniors. Anyway, I think in the book they're I didn't read the book, but I think they're actually freshmen in the book. So I don't know if they changed the ages for for the movie, but they don't they really mention it. Anyway, so I think what I'm going to do is go through the story very slowly. I actually like so last week I rewatched Lemonade Mouth. And then I decided when I, I was like, all right, I want to talk about Lemonade Mouth next week. Because at that point, I didn't know. I rewatched it again a couple nights ago. And I took very extensive notes, very rigorous notes. So I'm just going to I'm going to go through them to because I want to make sure I hit on everything. And this is very probably going to take up the bulk of this episode is me walking through the story and probably stopping along the way to make comments. So if you if you heard of The Breakfast Club, which I assume you have heard of The Breakfast Club, then you'll be able to tell right at the beginning of this episode that not of this episode of this movie that there's a very heavy breakfast club influence at least at the beginning because funnily enough the these five main characters who form a revolutionary band all meet in detention of course so the movie actually starts with a double flashback you you start is like a lemonade mouth concert which is like Madison Square Garden and they're all like getting ready to go out on stage and stuff. And Bridget Mendler's narrating, which is a little bit cringe. And it, do- it happens a little bit throughout the movie. Like it isn't overwhelming. It happens every now and then. Like, oh yeah, okay, there, there you are. There you are, Bridget Mendler. And Bridget Mendler is like, oh, but you want to know how it really started? It all started here. And they flash back to detention. And it's this, and you see the five of them, Stella Wen, Mo, Charlie, Olivia, and Olivia, who's played by Bridget Mendler, is kind of introducing them all one at a time over the narration while the camera goes, it's like, Here's Stella, lead guitar. Here's when he plays the keyboard and such and such and so on. And and the the music teacher who is uh, hosting hosting I guess detention that day is freaking out because all oh, like the budget was cut for the music program. So they're in the this shitty room in the basement, and you can hear like the flushing noises coming from the bathrooms right upstairs and like dripping water and stuff, which is kind of disgusting. So she she's about to rush out of the room to go yell at the principal. But then there's like there's like a freeze frame. Bridget Medler is like, oh, now we got to flash back to the beginning of the day to show you how it all happened. So that's what I mean when I say double flashback. So it's very interesting the first like 20 minutes of the movie because now you're like, oh, how long is it going to be before you get back to that scene in the detention room? And it, and it lasts like all 20 minutes, which is pretty much, I would say, longer than you would expect. So the first, the first scene after that second flashback is Stella, everybody's favorite, Stella Yamada, and she's like playing an electric guitar in the morning at her house, making all these funny faces. And her mom's like, don't can't be late, Stella, gotta get in the car. So I, there's this thing they do in a lot of DCOMs and probably other movies too, actually, is they'll like, they want to provide you with an exposition, but they're not sure how. So they just make a character say something that they would never say in real life because it's obvious that like all the other characters know so so the mom Stella's mom in the car is like I know this is hard for you Stella and Stella's like transferring to a new school one month into the school year after moving across the country it's like thanks for the exposition now now we know that that it's your first day I just think that that stuff is funny to to notice and to point out and a lot of times it also happens not in this movie really but in other movies when like characters will call other characters by their first names like several times I remember at the beginning of Freaky, Freaky Friday 2018 they keep calling Ellie like Ellie, 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 Carl, and like all these things to just like make sure we know that know their names. Even though like when you really think about it in real life, 
when you're talking to somebody you know, you very rarely will actually address them by their name. At least that's that's in my experience. So Stella gets out of the car and she's all mad, right? And she walks by this guy who we can tell right away is the main antagonist of the movie. It's like, check out the new girl. And like, this is, this is the one moment of the movie where it's like, okay, it's not the one moment of the movie, but it's one of the like main moments of the movie that feels very decommy and that like, that's not a real representation of high school experience. And I mean, like there are other instances in this movie where like people like caring an, ex- an extreme amount about a high school band, like that probably wouldn't happen. But this is the one like in a vacuum moment that like you were trying to make that realistic and it wasn't. So now, now we're done with Stella. We've introduced her. And then we move on to Wen, played by Adam Hicks, who is in the car with his dad. And the dad is dropping off his girlfriend, the dad's girlfriend, at a community college. Uh, which in the book, actually, I want to point out, this is a difference between the movie and the book. In the book, Wen's dad's girlfriend actually is like college age, like 22. And in this movie, they try to like, you know, they, they decom it a little bit and she's 28 and she's just like taking a photography class. And in the, in the book, actually, they also make a big deal out of like the fact that Wen has a crush on his dad's girlfriend because they're actually like not that far apart in age. And they, they don't touch on that at all in the movie. In the movie, it's just like, oh, he hates her, which I mean, yeah, that's pretty much what you would expect them to change it to. Uh, and so Wen and his dad have a little bit of a discussion, like some more exposition like when's like oh this, uh this her girlfriend sydney is taking over our life and the dad's like just give her a chance just give her a chance so that's the introduction of when really moving on next main character charlie played by by 14 year old blake michael he is uh kind of annoying right off the bat because he's got these drumsticks and he's just all around on like the leather car seats and and we get like his his conflict from the beginning is a, a pretty minor one it's just his mom wants him to play soccer like his brother and that's it and he doesn't want to play soccer but he's too scared to to say it so like actually in some decoms like uh that come to mind this could be like a main storyline but here it just kind of seems like a throwaway like he kind of gets the short end of the stick like they barely there's like one scene of him on the soccer field being bad at soccer which i'm going to talk about in a minute and then like they barely ever mention it till later on in the movie when it's like oh my mom still thinks i'm, I'm playing soccer every day and it's like Oh, yeah, I, I forgot about that plot line. Anyway, so the reason that his mom wants him to play soccer is because his older brother played soccer and he was like some superstar soccer player. He's at Stanford. And I feel like maybe one of the reasons why Charlie's storyline uh, got kind of shafted a little bit here is because in the book, his his whole thing with a brother is that he had a twin who died at birth. So and he's like hallucinates or something like his brother talking to him and he like feels a burden on his shoulders because of that and i guess disney didn't want to go that route so all of a sudden this extremely heavy storyline for charlie is a little bit it just seems a little kind of like fluff so charlie gets out of the car and he's carrying the soccer ball that his mother gave him and then he like he looks off into the distance and he sees this girl mo in a car with her dad and we saw oh he has a crush on her and he like falls and trips over the curb or something with his soccer ball and now we we so now we we side flash is that i don't know there's a better word for it anyway so we slide over to mo who's talking to her her stereotyped indian dad talking about college applications and and he's like are you wearing lipstick you can't wear lipstick you're too young to wear lipstick so i mean maybe i'm not the most qualified to make a commentary on this but it feels 
a little bit of maybe a problematic stereotype to have like, you know, these uh, Indian parents very, you know, serious about school, can't do anything else. But maybe that's maybe that's just me. But I feel like I could definitely see people having gripes with that. So we've now been introduced to four of the characters and we flash back to Wen, who's kind of late because I don't know, he, he just is. So he's running with like his papers and stuff and he runs by Olivia, played by Bridget Mendler, and makes Olivia drop her book. And like that's the whole intro to Olivia. Like we got a bunch of like exposition about the other four, like uh, their like relationships with their their parents or whatever, or their little conflicts. And Olivia, we get nothing, which is kind of interesting because we get more later on. Like it's more of a slow reveal with her. But I feel like if you're gonna frame her as the main character, or like you have five main characters, but she's like the main main character, then it's kind of a an interesting choice that they barely touch on her at all at the beginning. So here's how, so now they move on to like we're wondering how do these characters all get detention? How do they all end up there at the end of the day? So what Mo does is she changes into like this blue dress that her dad presumably wouldn't have let her wear. And she sees Scott, this new character, Scott, who is, we find out that's her boyfriend who convinces her to skip class with him to watch so that she can watch him and his band mudslide crush rehearse for the Halloween bash. So this is like a fair amount of new information that we're taking in now. And so Mo doesn't want to skip class because like she doesn't want to skip class. Very reasonable thing to not want to do. But Scott's like, come on, we never get to see each other because I'm always at band rehearsal and soccer practice and, and your dad and stuff. So Mo's like, fine, fine, I'll skip class with you. And now we, we flash over to Stella and her mom in the in the principal's office now she's probably i don't think she's in trouble yet but she's just like getting acquainted at the new school and stella has this this shirt this red shirt that says question authority and and the principal it doesn't like that it's like oh you know we, that crosses our line our unwritten rule and here at this school we follow the rules and have respect and stella who we can tell right away is going to be the superstar of the movie straight up what about freedom of expression do you have that here and so the principal keeps talking about like oh don't be so rude blah, 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 blah. and you everyone is everyone falls into line and then at that very moment he sees all these like massive security tvs in his office he sees like mo and scott skipping class so he's so it's kind of i don't know it's a little bit of a funny moment that he's like everyone acts perfectly here and then all of a sudden these you see these two kids on the massive tvs skipping class so then we flash over to now mo's in the office and he's like please she's like please don't call my dad he's gonna kill me if he knew i skipped class especially if it was with the boys so the principal's like fine fine i won't call your dad but he gives her a detention instead uh mo got the detention but scott her boyfriend actually got off with a warning because he has soccer practice. So now we get this idea is like, oh, the principal is favoring the athletes. So who would have thought? Anyway, so now we flash over to Wen, who's in history class. And a very minor detail here. He's, so he's about to give this history presentation, which he did mention in the car with his dad. Uh, I've got to go my do my history pre presentation. I don't want to be late for my history presentation. So anyway, so he's getting ready for that. But there's like the previous girl right before him is like, ending her presentation with and that's why the american revolution was so important and everyone claps and the teacher's like thank you sharon very nice and i i, I just find that detail to be so hilarious and i like actually like rewound it like you know like back 10 seconds just to listen to it again so now it's wen's turn to do his presentation he gets called on he gets up with his binder and he opens his binder and then he realizes like it's the wrong binder it's got like pictures of like apples and stuff so he starts freaking out because 
he's got he's got the wrong binary. He doesn't have his history presentation. So, but then Sydney comes in, and Sydney's like, "When? When? Sorry, I've got your folder, and, and you've got my folder because you know those are Sydney's photos for photography class, and Sydney has when's the history presentation." So then, like people start like, "Oh, well, is that that your mom when?" And she's like. And when it's like, she's not my mom. Are you stupid? Directly to the teacher. And so that's how when gets detention. So so we're at two now, two for five. So now we flash over to principal. Uh, principal Brennigan is his name. Is talking to the music teacher who we, we actually, we've already been introduced to, introduced to in that first flashback. But this is the first time we see her in like the morning. And basically the principal is on this like segue with a helmet that he rolls around the school on which probably goes to show how he's, you know, spending a lot of money on, on frivolous things, such as those massive TVs in his office, the security TVs. And so they're having this discussion about, uh, like, the music teacher, Miss Resnick, is yelling at him, like, if you spend, spend half as much on this new gym as you did in music program, blah, 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 all these things, all these things. And he's like, oh, I've got to make the tough decisions. So he, just, he keeps drilling around in the segue. And then this is where he flashed to Olivia for, like, the like second time ever. And she barely gets any screen time this time either. Like how she gets attention. Basically she's in the janitor's closet reading. And then the principal rolling by on the Segway hears like mops fall over in there and hears her say like ow or something. And so he just like backs up and opens the door and just hands her a slip without even talking. And like Olivia, like she didn't even say anything. So now we're th- we've got three. Uh, is that, yeah, that's three so far. And now we flash to soccer practice, which I guess is happening at lunch or tryouts, I guess. And Charlie is so bad at soccer. Like they could have, like you can make him like bad at soccer. Obviously like that's part of his character is he doesn't want to, and he isn't good at it, but it's like embarrassingly, unrealistically bad. There's like a still soccer ball and that he just totally misses and like, like steps over it. And so now we see Ray again, same guy who was like, check out the new girl to Stella. And Ray's like, haha, Charlie sucks. And he kicks a ball at Charlie's back. And so Charlie gets angry because he, I guess he, he stands up for himself, which is, I don't know, something he doesn't really do later on, but whatever, he does this time. And he picks up a soccer ball with his hands, which is definitely something I would do, and tries to throw it at Ray, but Ray moves out of the way and it hits the coach. So that's how Charlie gets detention. So now we're at four. All of them except Stella now have detention. So this is like the big one. This these are like, oh, Stella, we would have thought she would have been like the first one. How did she get detention? So it's weird. Okay, this this device that this movie uses, it flashes to like a commercial for a fictional beverage called Turbo Blast. And when you're watching this movie, especially when you're watching it on TV, you're like, oh, it's a commercial break. And you're like, oh, no, it isn't. Because this drink, Turbo Blast, is actually a sponsor for the school and it paid for this new gym that the school has built. The school has built, and the principals at the assembly like, "Thanks to Turbo Blast, drink of champions." And he's like reading ads for them at this assembly. So he's like, "Welcome to this first assembly in this new gym," and he starts talking about like personal empowerment and stuff. So and like going above and beyond and all these all these things. And so Stella stands up and makes an extremely iconic speech, just like in the middle of the of the assembly, just interrupts and like, "I'm going to be empowered." So she's like, "My shirt." My decision, be heard, use your voice, except she's saying it much more passionately than I am right now. And she's got like her question authority shirt and everyone can see it. And something I really love that this movie did is there's a mixed reaction from her own peers. Like half of them are cheering and the ha- half of them are booing and saying like, just sit down and stuff like that. And I think it's much more like 
a, a real reflection of, or maybe not something that would actually happen, but a better reflection of how the student body would feel of like internally of something like this happening. If Stella just keeps going, she's not showing up. So I can wear my own t-shirt today, tomorrow. And then obviously it cuts away and she's holding a detention slip because of course she is. So if it's after school and Stella's going down to the basement to, you know, go to detention. And there's this, this guy who's sort of like showing Stella around the basement, which is kind of like the, not the underworld. I don't know I think what I'm trying to say, but you get the idea. And he's like, this is where everything is that, Principal Brennigan doesn't think it's going to like make profit, like the robotics club and the chess club and the school newspaper and the art club and like tons of stuff. So now Stella's uses this lemonade machine in front of the, 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 the detention room. It's like Mel's lemonade and there's this dramatic music. And now Bridget Mendler's narration is back. Like there's a moment where the stars align and fates collide, creating that perfect union. So can we just get the scene going? So basically they flashed like everyone one at a time, Stella, Wen, Charlie, Mo, uh, Olivia, getting lemonade from this machine and like making different facial expressions about it. Now at this point, we're like 18 and a half minutes in, I think. And this is where it picks up from where the flash flashback left off. So like they hold the freeze frame again of like the teacher mid yell for a couple seconds. And then she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to go give uh, the principal a piece of my mind. So you guys clean up the room while, while I'm out of here. And Stella says she can't make us clean. It's cruel and unusual punishment. And yeah, so that, if you haven't got a good idea of Stella's, Stella's character at this point, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, everyone loves her. I love her. So much. I'm going to talk about her like probably more in depth at the end of the episode. I might go, like, go through all the characters one by one. But basically what happens is they're all cleaning up in silence because they don't know each other at all. And water starts dripping from the ceiling, right? Because like the leaky bathroom and stuff into like this bucket. It's like drip, drip. And it's like, it's rhythmic things. So like while everyone's cleaning up and Charlie's still like sitting down, not doing anything. He starts like finger drumming on the table and snapping. And then all now like when kind of joins in, like throwing his keys around to the beat, like how, how. And Mo starts like doing the spray clean, like ch-ch. And now all of a sudden they're like, they pick up like the, like Mo starts playing the double bass and, Charlie goes over to a drum set and everyone's like playing these instruments that are lying around because it's the music room. And we get our first song of the movie. It's called Turn Up the Music. And I love it very much. It's one of my favorites. And I'm going to give it uh, an 8 on 10. I think I'm going to uh, I'm going to rate every song in this movie on a scale from 1 to 10 uh, based on how much I like it. Maybe at some point in the future, I could actually do an episode that only focuses on the music from this movie Lemonade Mouth or like any other musical movie, musical decom, uh, that would be that'd be a fun idea. But I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the actual music and whatever you know, lyrics, musical devices that exist in a song. I'm just going to kind of gloss over it and say basically they they break out into song in a diegetic way. So it's like you know, let's just let's all go play music together now. And they all they know this song somehow they all know the chords they all know the words and stuff then the music teacher comes back in they think she'll be mad that they got distracted but she's like wow do you you are a band you should sign up for the rising star competition and now okay here's here's like cringe moment number two is shella being like rising what and i know they want they want to be like oh she's never heard of it but like you've you obviously heard the word star like it wasn't hard to clear so i was like oh it's a talent competition and the winner gets a record deal which is like I don't know, a, a little bit of a, like, you're not just going to have this comp, like American Idol, the winner got a record deal. It's not going to be like this, this small town, like where you have like high school bands competing. It's like, oh, the winner gets a record deal. One thing that I feel like kind of 
makes up for that cringe moment of rising what is like when when and charlie kind of do this little like breaking out into small song sort of thing where they start singing i guess like the jingle for the competition like making tomorrow strives today and they're just singing together and they just kind of stop it's a very small thing that i totally forgot about but i love it very much so they all say no that don't want to do it and then olivia is like yeah i don't want to sing on stage oh here's here's what i wanted to say about that she says oh last time i sang on stage was my first grade recital and five minutes into baba black sheep i threw up down mikey nichols back and i just want to say how long was this rendition of baba black sheep that five minutes in you threw up like what was going on for those first five minutes that didn't make you throw up and second how much longer was that song supposed to go on i thought baba black sheep was just like 30 seconds long but maybe not maybe maybe she was meant to say five seconds and she messed up and they just didn't go back and correct it but the idea of like a 15 minute baba black sheep epic is very entertaining to me and so the big moment at the end of this like detention scene is uh when they're all like oh yeah mudslide crush is in it so there's no way we're gonna win why would we do it if we didn't win and then miss resident is like because you deserve to be heard and we're like wow that's amazing what a big moment and so now now it's funny because we flash till right now it's after school and we get a glimpse of like their actual home lives which we didn't really get to see before we we more just more of like car scenes of like getting driven to school which yeah i didn't even notice until actually this very moment like none of them picked the school bus i don't i guess Olivia might. We didn't see her in the car, but the rest of them all got driven, which I don't know. I guess that's plausible for depending on what area they live in. So now we see Olivia uh, lived with her grandma in this little house, and they have a cat named Nancy. And she's like, How's Nancy? And she's like, Oh, she's still not eating. And so we're getting sense like, Oh, okay, this is an old cat who has no appetite, and it's probably going to be dead by the end of this movie. Now we flash over to Wen, who uh, doesn't want to go ride a horse with his dad and Sydney and his little sister because he doesn't like Sydney. Flash over to Mo, who's practicing the violin. And when as soon as her dad leaves the room, she starts playing Turn Up the Music on the violin. Flash over to Charlie, who's drumming on his drum set at his house in like his garage and his mom comes in. He's like, oh yeah, uh, soccer was great. And finally, flash over to Stella Yamada, who's eating dinner with her family while there's classical music playing. And she is wearing this shirt that's like, I don't remember exactly what it says, but it's like vegetarians are cool or like vegetarianism rocks or something like that. And the dad's like, what? I don't know. You bet you're a vegetarian. And when did this happen? She's like four months ago. Listen to me. And, and the, this, she has these little brothers who are like, uh, for whatever reason that they're, they're white. Like you're still supposed to be mixed. Like the dad is Japanese and the mom is white, but like those two, those her twin brothers are very clearly not Asian. But anyway, that's just, that's a small detail. So, th- so one of the brothers like, Oh, don't be a vegetarian. That's dumb. Fish don't feel pain. And Stella's just like, just because you don't see agony doesn't mean it's not there, which is personally I find to be a great allegory for the rest of the film. But I'm not going to dive into that too deeply right now. You can probably figure that out by herself. So now she's like ranting about how she's not as smart as everyone else in her family uh, because apparently like her dad is some sort of big doctor. And I don't remember what, what the mom is, but like the two kids are geniuses too. Honestly, you're kind of getting like Phineas Ferb Candace vibes here a little bit because like the, the the sons are like making their own like robot toys. And Stella, I think I mentioned this last week when I was talking about the movie. It was like, I could start a revolution and takes an extremely aggressive bite of broccoli. And this is exactly probably the moment, like the, the élément déclencheur that makes her like, okay, yeah, I want to start this band. I think we're going to have a revolution. So she sends uh, this text message to the other four 
that says fluke or destiny comma we need to talk and like signs it off estella which i guess makes sense if like she doesn't think that um that her number is in their phones but like no one really signs up text messages anyway but it could kind of i don't know it could make sense in that setting anyway so basically they all get together at dante's pizzeria and stella tells them that she signed them up for rising star and the halloween bash so that they're prepared for the rising star because uh and the principal letter like the halloween bash is like a school run event the principal's in control of so when stella asked asked the principal i guess he was like okay because uh he thought she was like channeling her energy into something productive instead of just you know causing havoc at assemblies and here's something i want to mention when they're talking about like oh what songs are we going to play and when says to olivia you could write our songs the one you did the other day was pretty amazing and i'm just thinking in my head the song they did the other day, do, what do you mean by that? Do you mean Turn Up the Music was written by Olivia? Because then I'm questioning how you all knew the chords and the lyrics. Uh, and if not, then did you have another jam session between now and then? Uh, or maybe like at the detention, like after it cut away, did you like play more music together? And Olivia was like, hey, listen to this song. And it just wasn't in the movie. All, all things to consider. All things to consider. So... Wen is in with Stella. She, uh, he's down to start a band. Mo's in. Olivia's in. And Charlie is like, I'm going to flip a coin. Heads will do it and tails we won't. And it's like, Charlie, the four of us have already decided. Like, this isn't in the movie. It's kind of supposed to be like this dramatic, like, face align moment or whatever. But I'm thinking, like, the other four already agreed to it. If you don't want to do it, then you can say you don't want to do it. But to say heads we do it? Like, no. The other four have already made their decision, Charlie. So you're either on board or you're not. Anyway course the coin lands on head so they're all do it and they flash to a rehearsal and stella is kind of like being bossy and like no one's vibing so most like i quit and charlie's like i quit too and Stella's like they're quitters stop quitting and it's just like a whole a whole mess and all of a sudden all of a sudden when starts tapping the keyboard dooby 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 doo doo yabba dooby dabba dooby la and it's this magical moment well the first of several throughout the movie where everyone's like i don't want to i want to quit and all of a sudden someone just starts like playing a little bit of music and like okay yeah all right music we're back on board now and now is where they play the second song of the movie which is i guess canonically also written by olivia it's called somebody and this one i think i like even more than the original i give this one an eight and a half on 10 that's that's my grade for this one 8.5 on 10 one thing i don't really like is like they cut out the second verse which is i get something that happens a lot in decom musicals like just because you need to shave time especially this movie which is like relatively long for a decom it was like like hour 45 around so they cut out the the second verse which i totally recommend listening to as a as a full song and it's what we flashed like the teacher miss resnick vibing in the hallway like singing along somebody somebody and at the end again Stella's like did you really write that olivia it's like how do you know the words if she just wrote this and never taught it to you uh which i feel like maybe it's probably not even totally necessary for this to be canonically written by olivia like just make it a cover or like, don't don't reference it. Like, why does Olivia need to have written these songs? Oh, whatever. Anyway, so cut over to next scene. Scott and Mo are at a, a random mudslide crush show that's taking place like in a parking lot. And all, Ray and Scott are complaining because Ray and Scott are both in mudslide crush. Like Ray is like the main antagonist, and Scott is like, we can't really tell if we like him or not yet. So basically, Scott is like, oh, now this new band that uh 
that the principal is letting play at Halloween Bash that's taking half of our stage time. And and he's like all mad about it. And Mo's like, oh, do you know who's in the band? And obviously she's in the band. But like you can't tell if she's like going to try to keep it a secret for him. And then she doesn't. She just said, I'm in the band, Scott. And because I want to play music and I want to play in this band. And Scott's like, well, why don't you just join our band? And they have like a very, very minor fight. And now Mudslide Crush plays a song at this like show. It's called And the Crowd Goes. And it's as bad as the title sounds. The song is a three on ten. I don't understand why people like these Mudslide Crush songs, of which there are two in this movie, because neither one of them are any good at all. Unless it's just like a particular sound I don't like. The song is basically just like, uh, and the crowd goes, and the crowd goes, and it goes like that. That's that's the main idea of it. And like this song and the other one that comes later at the uh, at Rising Star, Don't You Wish You Were Us. They're they're very like. In the style of like these these Bruno Mars songs that are like, oh yeah, I am great, I am famous, I am rich, and I have sex, and like not not uh, they don't say that explicitly in these these decom songs, but it's basically songs that are they just prop themselves up. It's like look look at how great I am, look at how great we are, we are the best, and I just like. Like, why do you have to put that in the song? Why can't you just play a song instead of saying, listen to how great our songs are? <sighs> anyway, so next day, I think it's the next day, Stella and Wen are, like, walking together in the hallway. And everyone's looking at them all funny, very decommy, uh, and everyone hates them because uh, everyone loves Mudslide Crush and is now mad that Lemonade Mouth is, like, taking away half of their set for the Halloween Bash, which is an extremely unrealistic thing to happen. Uh, I have, honestly, in real life, never heard of like a school band playing at a school party. I, and I definitely wouldn't have heard of people being mad that the school band isn't playing as much as they otherwise would have. So basically they're all, they're all like having a meeting in the music room, everyone in Lemonade Mouth. And they're like, Oh, we got to come up with a band name. That's our order of business. It's like, Oh, is this where they come up with Lemonade Mouth? Spoiler alert. It's not. Uh, who I think Charlie was the one who was like, how about we call ourselves Soul Groove? And they're like, that's awful. And Stella's like, how about the anarchists? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty bad too. And when, this is pretty funny actually, when it's like, well, I got a name, I got a name, let me just find it. And he's like, slipped through this like notebook. And he's like, we can name our band When. And he's got this extremely serious face. It's, it's uh, so funny. But, like, we're just going to call ourselves your name. It's like, yeah, like the one name thing. And then so then like Olivia walks in with this this poster that's like, oh, no, they said back off the bash or else. So they like want them to not do the Halloween bash, uh, which honestly was probably a pretty unnecessary thing, like unnecessary plot point because they never revisit it. It's probably supposed to be like, like Ray is like or maybe not Ray, maybe these other people who are like, big mudslide crush fans are just like lemonade mouth we th we're threatening you if you don't not play the halloween bash we're gonna do something but then like they just forget about it and play the halloween bash and nothing ever happens so and that's just a just a side note now we're, we're back to scott and mo who are in the cafeteria i guess like i don't know how, how much time has passed but they're in a cafeteria probably at lunch and they're, they're not vibing basically you feel like maybe scott has become more distant since he's found out like mo's in the band and scott gets up and like goes to talk to like, I don't know, sit with Ray and his soccer friends or something. And then Charlie, because he still has a crush on Mo, like rushes over, like runs over to Mo. So oh, Mo's sitting alone. I want to go talk to her. So, so he's like, hey, Mo. Hey, Mo. And Mo's just like talking about, you know, you know, talking about Scott and stuff and like boyfriend troubles. And Charlie's like, oh, oh, oh yeah, okay. Uh, and that's, and then Wen comes over and kind of, kind of, you know, 
ends the conversation. And so Olivia walks over to the Turbo Blast machine in the cafeteria. And Ray and these random other two girls start harassing her like, hey, Olivia, you're you sing for Lemonade Mouth. Why don't you just sing right here? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. And then like like Charlie and Mo and Stella and, and everyone, Scott, gets involved when and it's like this big like shoving match and stuff. And it was like Ray's being the worst. And, and Stella basically like, you know, the, this is, you probably you probably recognize the scene. Honestly, if you like barely ever seen Lemonade Mouth or like saw it maybe once, this is probably the main scene you'd remember with like Stella taking a swig of lemonade and just spitting it all in Ray's face. And then Principal Brennigan comes over on his on his fucking Segway and he's like, What's going on? What's going on? And Ray is like, Oh, I was just getting a turbo blast and they all start harassing me and then Lemonade Mouth spits all over me. It's like, and that's how he got a band name. Thanks, Bridget Mendler. Wow. So that's the whole like Lemonade Mouth. It was probably probably pretty clever for like a nine year old. Like, wow, that's amazing. But now look I'm kinda used to it at this point. It's a little it's cool. I don't know. Next, all right, so now they got their band name. That sequence is done with, and I'm not even sure exactly how far we are into this movie when they got that band name. Anyway, so we got this sequence between Wen and Olivia, where Wen goes to Olivia's house to work on songs, and, and Olivia's grandma is like, uh, oh, yeah, uh, I've never met one of Olivia's friends before, and we're like, oh, what, was Olivia like a loner and stuff? So and anyway, so so when Olivia are talking and it's a little bit awkward and once like, hey, you want to see this rap I wrote? And I'm like, oh, when raps? Wow. And he's like, I like this because because it's not actually the rap that they end up using later on in Determinate. This the one that it goes at Olivia's house. He's like, I actually wrote it down so I could do it. It's when and I'm musically inclined, get a shiver down your spine every time I rhyme. I'm in lemonade mouth. We don't learn to wait. We get on stage and determinate. And it's funny because the, there is a rap in determinate but it isn't this like at all they're like very like it starts with it's when and they're like they're very like i don't think there's actually anything else that they used in this rap and that rap so that's interesting and a little tidbit that i like they totally just revamped that rap and they're like wow and olivia's like wow determinate that's not a real word we can't use a not real word and then when like sees uh nancy the cat and he's like wow that's an old cat and there's an awkward moment where olivia starts like tearing up like yeah yeah that's an old cat and they talk about how like uh, Olivia's like yeah yeah my mom my mom is dead, uh, very sad and was like what about your dad and Olivia just kind of brushes it off and they just continue working on on this song that will end up being determined. So now it's uh, the day before the Halloween bash. So how much time has passed? Uh, I'm gonna think about this because Stella apparently transferred to you one month into the school year. So if the school year if you're starting at like the beginning of September, let's say. Then the movie starts at the beginning of October, and now it's probably like October 30th or so. Maybe the Halloween bash isn't on Halloween, but it's around that area. So like almost a month has passed. So Mel's Lemonade Machine, they see this sign on it that said it's scheduled for removal. And Stella and Wen go to like the, I don't know, not the principal's office, but this other, I don't know, secretary. And they start asking about like, oh, why is it getting removed? And basically they find out it's because of this turbo blast sponsorship that the school has, they have to get rid of all the other competing beverage machines. So I was like, that's pretty stupid. And I mean, yeah, it kind of is pretty stupid and flash over to when, uh, who's at home now. And his dad tells him that he asked Sydney to marry him. Uh, when's all sad about it or not sad, like angry, I guess. And then we get this final sequence before the Halloween bash with, uh, Ray 
talking to Mo and being like, hey, Mo, come see the new weight room. And he, like, grabs her hand and, like, takes her up to the weight room and where where uh, Mo sees Scott, like, I don't know if, like, cheating on her, maybe not, but basically there's this other girl who's, like, sitting on his lap feeling his muscles, which is, like, uh, kind of cringe. And also, like, why did Ray do this? I don't understand if, because, like, him and Scott are supposed to be friends. And, like, obviously, I'm not defending Scott or anything or saying, like, what Ray did was wrong because what Ray did actually in that scenario was probably the right thing to do. Maybe he went about it the wrong way. But like, if your friend is like, like cheating on their significant other, then you should probably, if you can't get them to stop, then I mean, you know, cut the tie, just, just cut it open. Uh, but I don't understand because Ray is supposed to be a bad guy. So like, what was his motive here? I really don't know. So anyway, so now's the Halloween bash and this moment is the centerpiece of the film. A lot of times in like, in albums like like you know like musical albums or soundtracks or something not as often in movies you'll get this like right before like right around that halfway point of the movie is a really big moment that like ties everything together it's like the kind of like the anchor of the film like kind of like on broadway like whatever the final number is before the first half like like what like a big showstopper halfway through and here that's the halloween bash and it's not even just one song or one moment I'm going to start, like, right before we get to the actual Lemonade Moth performance. Olivia's freaking out in the bathroom. She's just vomiting her insides out because she's got stage fright. There are tons of, like, cheap Halloween decorations in the bathroom. And Olivia's like, she doesn't want to sing. And then, like, everyone comes in. Like, Mo, Stella, Wend, Charlie, they all just come in. They're like, oh, come on, Olivia. You can sing. We all believe in you. And Stella has, like, this, this lemonade belt with, like, a bunch of lemonade cans on it. So they pass one to Olivia, and she takes a sip and she's like okay yeah i'm ready to go so now they're on stage they're performing and it's the most epic scene in the movie uh this is where they sing determinate and it's funny because if you're taking into account the other two songs we've already heard them sing turn up the music on somebody this one is like unexpected stylistically there's this like piano ballad intro and then it very abruptly transitions into like alt technology electronic rock song uh, Determinate uh, is everyone's favorite song from the movie. Uh, well, I'm sure there's someone who that doesn't apply to, but it's most people's favorite song in the movie. Mine too. I give it a 9 on 10. And there's like this dumb little choreography in the chorus, which they like slide back and forth. And near the end of the song, Stella's like spinning on the floor playing guitar, and Olivia like jumps over her. And it really seems like improvised, which I think is like a super cool, I don't know if it was it probably wasn't but like the way the way bridget Mendler is just like oh there, there you go spinning on the floor i gotta like avoid tripping over you it felt kind of spur of the moment kind of impromptu and then like charlie's drumming and he's like flipping his hair back and forth super super dramatically and the song is like wow that was amazing are they gonna like flash ahead now to the new scene where everyone loves them nope you thought it was done but it isn't done in fact they were probably only allotted for that one song or probably uh, i don't really know what they were allotted for or not but basically uh olivia is like now a few words from our lead guitarist stella yamada and she passes the mic to stella and stella starts talking to everyone she's talking about how they're taking out the lemonade machine in the basement they're taking out the mel's machine because this school treats some people like they're more important than other people this school is not just uh, and everybody in this school should matter as much as anyone else and so we need to make sure this lemonade machine does not get removed and this is where they start playing their second song. Uh, it's called Here We Go. And at the very start, 
it seems cringe. It's very out of nowhere. And basically, so Charlie's drumming in the back. And then you've got Wen, Stella, Olivia, and Mo at the front all lined up together doing this little like lemonade dance. And this, the song is like, be heard, be strong, be proud. I want to make some noise. Stand up. Come on. Be loud. Going to raise our voice. And it's extremely decalming. You're like, oh, this is a little bit cringe, I think. But then it just keeps going and going and going. And you're like, man, they're not shutting up. They're actually they're actually serious. Like, they're, this is like a, a, a protest song. And like, everyone, all of them are singing like Stella raps a little bit, Wen raps a little bit. So we came here to make a change. We came here to rearrange. And like in the bridge. Olivia Olivia sings that part, which I think is great because Bridget Mendler does not have a naturally protesty sounding voice like Stella, like uh, not like um, like Haley Kiyoko does. Uh, she's very like more pop vocalist sounding, which is totally fine. But the fact that she is trying super hard to sound protesty in this bridge is, I think, fantastic, and I think excellent that they didn't just let Haley Kiyoko have this song. And they're like, no, Bridget, you're the lead singer. You you can sing here too. And I love this song more than most people do a lot of people i can see how you would think it goes on too long but that's the whole point about it it's like it's meant to go on too long because if it were just like a minute long you'd be like oh I'll get just a little throwaway thing but this is meant this is an integral part of the movie this song the fact that it just keeps going i give it a seven on ten and basically the principle is like you know they can't protest this at this hello at the school event they can't have freedom of speech so the principal actually like runs over to like the light and sound booth and just shuts everything off so like you can't hear them anymore you can't see them anymore which is blatantly evil i might say so now we cut to the principal's office where he bans them from ever using the music room again or ever like even singing at school ever again and he's extremely over the top about it and very like dictator e. and so now it's like oh is the lemonade mouth done are they ever going to perform again we don't know cut to when in the basement with uh, the same guy who showed Stella around the basement at the beginning. And he's got a CD from the show because apparently somebody recorded it. And he's like, I've been selling these all day. And I'm going to give your band 70% of the cut. And we're going to give the rest of it to like the, I think it was the AV club or whatever it is. So I think it's kind of funny how great quality the CD is of like some amateur recording. Anyway, whatever. So the school newspaper talked about them. And like the five of them are all sitting together at lunch. And the line, I think, is like a champion for students, sidelined by the high school's privileged and elite. And like, if you if you pause it on this newspaper, it's basically like the same two sentences over and over again. The entire article, they were probably just hoping we would notice uh, little little moments, little moments that I find to be very funny. So the the five of them, the band, are all sitting together talking about how like, oh, I guess we can't sing anymore or whatever, can't perform the school anymore. And and then like, okay, little funny funny moment here. It's pretty good acting. It's like these these girls like walk by and they're like giggling, like waving at Charlie and like oh they like they like Charlie, and Charlie is like I guess supposed to be clueless. He's like oh I guess they like us, and um and Olivia's like oh I'm not sure if it's us that they like. And Charlie's like what I don't get it, and this could have been a like a butchered very cringe moment, but the acting for all five of them is so good of Charlie actually being clueless. Like that's a that's a pretty good acting moment for Blake and Michael of him actually not understanding, and the other four of them just finding it extremely hilarious is actually i feel like pretty realistic excerpt as you just plug that out i think it, i think it works fantastic um so now we have a montage of everybody in the whole school loving lemonade mouth doing their dumb like little lemonade drinking dance and this is the first time i think it's the first time we see uh this girl in an electric wheelchair who loves them and has this like a lemonade mouth poster taped to the to the back of her wheelchair, and she she becomes like she doesn't really talk much, but she becomes very integral later on in the movie. 
I think maybe I'll talk about this more later on. Now I'll, I'll talk about it now. The fact that like she's kind of like lemonade mouth is really a gateway for her, and people like her because like when you when you're in a school that treats sports so seriously and it's like the not just like the number one priority but the only priority. Like if you're disabled like that, then you're basically like there's not even an option for you. You're basically you're basically nothing, which is really sad to think about. This like systemic ableism. That like, cause it's not just like, oh, raunchy kids who like the lemonade machine. Like, no, some people are actually systemically discriminated against because of things like that. And I think it's great that they threw that in. And then there's like this massive banner also outside, like the front of the movie. This is lemonade mouth forever. And like the principal and the janitor are like trying to take it down. And Stella comes out and the principal's like, Stella, you can't, you got to stop these games. And she's like, I didn't do this. This was somebody else. This wasn't us. And she's telling the truth. Which is pretty cool. So, so we're supposed to think like, oh, after this one iconic performance at the Halloween bash, all of a sudden they're a social phenomenon at school. Okay, cool. So now they're back at Dante's Pizzeria. Uh, and Wen's like, hey guys, I know we can't play at school anymore, but Dante liked our CD. And uh, he said that we can play here every single Thursday. And Olivia and Mo and Charlie, uh, for some reason, are not down, even though they were like, they just performed at the Halloween bash and they were sad about the fact that they couldn't practice at school anymore. Now that they can't practice at school anymore, they're like, eh, nah, I'm not interested in being a band anymore, which is kind of a little bit of a, I don't know, inconsistency, I guess you could say. And this is where Charlie's are like, my parents, my parents think I'm at a soccer practice every week. And like, oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, so Stella is being the queen and voice of reason. Like we're, we're people's voice. We matter. We mean something and so on. And basically Mo leaves and they all run after her. And then they see this like extremely massive poster right outside Dante's Pizzeria, which I don't know how they didn't see that right when they walked in. Uh, but basically they pant all of them and it's like um, the, the poster is basically like a picture of them from the Halloween bash. It says, don't stop the revolution. And it's like, maybe we do matter. Wow. And so now they're they're playing every Thursday at Dante's Pizzeria. And this is where we get our next song. It's called She's So Gone, and Moe is singing lead on it. And a lot of people really love this song. I'd probably give it like a, like a 7 on 10. Okay, it's a kind of, it's pretty pretty good. It's pretty good, but in some moves, it's like maybe slightly cringe. I don't know. Like these moments where she picks up this napkin holder that's like an extremely accurate reflection of her. It's like a mirror. Kind of kind of similar to like the CGI from like Troy and Bed on it in High School Musical 2, where he's like looking into the lake, and it's perfectly visible mirror-like, mirror-like reflection. So that's that scene. Uh, everyone loves that song. People are like treating them like celebrities at school. They want like their autographs. Uh, then Olivia's cat dies, which is pretty sad. Uh, and all four of them go to her house to comfort her, and they start cloud watching. So like they're all lying on their backs. Uh, it's like look, it's like a flower. It looks like a hand. And and Stella's like, oh, I just think it's a blob, which I think is supposed to be a sign that she's like, I don't know, not intellectually advanced or something. I don't. I'm not really sure. So then there's the, the, the this very iconic scene because like you probably have had a, an experience like this uh, where it's easier to like talk to someone and be open with them if you're not actually looking at them. And so like they're all just looking at the sky and that's where they, they really like kind of start open, opening up to each other about like their family issues. Dolls like sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm too stupid to be my family and that's why my parents ignore me. And Mo is like, oh, I wish my dad would ignore me. I'm never going to live up to his like his expectations and, and so on. And Charlie's like traveling up to a perfect brother who plays soccer and goes to Stanford. And when it's like, I, I wish I had a perfect brother instead of my dad's ridiculous girlfriend. And then Olivia just kind of blurts out, my dad's in prison. 
And I love this moment. It's excellent. And not just because, like, the acting for all five of them is so good, but Disney Channel, a lot of times, they have this tendency to, like, reveal information to you before they had to. Like, Adventures in Babysitting, when the two bad guys are like, we've got to get that camera, when they when we thought they were trying to get the chocolate bar. Um, I don't know if you've seen Adventures in Babysitting 2016 with Sabrina Carpenter and Sophia Carson, but basically, you think for a minute that the bad guys are after them because they want the chocolate bar that they stole, but actually it's because of the camera that they took a picture of them with like the illegal ferret that they bought. And if they had just kept us not knowing that for a little longer, it would have been great. Same thing in like in the zombies when Addison reveals to you right away that she has like white hair under her blonde wig. Like, why did you have to tell us that immediately? I don't understand. And the fact that we don't, we don't know until now that Olivia's dad is in prison and we find out at the exact same time as when Stella, Mo, Charlie, it's a, a thousand times better. And it's great because the other four are immediately like, oh, I guess uh, maybe my problems are kind of like, you know, not that much in compared to that. And and so they're kind of like, oops, sorry. But they don't say it out loud. They're just like awkward glances around, not really sure what to say. And Olivia, like, I guess, like she probably doesn't really open up about this kind of thing very often. These are like probably the only people of like at school who she told about this. She, t- she talks about like, oh, after my mom died, I've made like he made some terrible decisions and so on and so on. And she's like, he writes to me, but I don't write back and so on and so on and so on. And one interesting thing I feel like I should point out in the book, it's a little bit different. In the book, uh, Olivia's parents had her as teenagers. The mom left like right away. And then the dad was convicted for manslaughter but it was like some sort of i don't know false conviction kind of maybe where like i think maybe he went to rob a rob like a a, a 7-eleven or something and then i'm not really sure maybe they were poor maybe there was but like the dad wasn't framed as like this bad guy in the book um and at the end there's like a scene in the book where like the five of band members all go and meet olivia's dad and in the movie like they don't say what he's in prison for and we're like oh is he like an evil person like i don't really know i can't really tell what did he do i don't like it's totally up in the air and you can understand the decom they might not like super want to dive into details of like like you know robbery or whatever but anyway they play this next song called more than a band uh i give this one a five on ten because it's kind of cringe and it doesn't really i feel like it's really more it's it's much more of like a, like not the kind of song you would expect in a movie like this and one that you would expect in like a movie like a decom movie that didn't have to be a musical but they made a musical anyway kind of kind of like zombies or like freaky friday 2018 even though neither one of those movies are that bad one of the reasons i feel like this song maybe isn't as effective as the other ones is because there was no way it could have possibly been good even if it were good like why are you singing this song now and also the fact that this would have been a great moment to have like live vocals because like Stella picks up a guitar that she brought with her and starts playing and then Mo starts singing in like Olivia's face like we'll always be more than a band and so on and so on. And it's like, well, why, why don't you just do live vocals for that one? Like the Determinate, I understand, or like other ones that are really more band sounding. But here, like, I don't know, I feel like it would have been like a more intimate moment if they just did live vocals for that for all of them. But maybe that's just me. Uh, cut ahead. To Scott and Mo having another conversation. Scott wants Mo to forgive him. She actually does forgive him, but she's like, We're still not dating. This doesn't change anything. So now, okay, here's an interesting moment. Uh, Wen is uh, in the bathroom at his house in like a bathrobe, 
pretending to like be doing like an interview, like talking into a toothbrush. He's like, oh yeah, our band name was actually initially uh, when, but after uh, months and months of uh, debate and deliberation, and then Sydney just like breaks in the bathroom without knocking, and she's like, when you got to come listen to this, because Lemonade Mouth song Determinate is playing on the radio, which is pretty nuts that like they just made like this bootleg from a concert, and now all of a sudden it's on the radio somehow. Also, Sydney, don't don't break in on. Uh, on a teenage boy in the bathroom without knocking, especially even if it even if a song is on the radio, like knock. That's the priority is the privacy. Anyway, so when calls Olivia, like put on put on whatever radio station, and she starts like freaking out with her grandma, like terminates on the radio, and then also you have like Charlie, Mo, and Stella for whatever reason we're like all together in somebody's house and they hear it like they're all jamming out together listening to the radio. I think I'm not actually sure like which house they were at. It, Probably wasn't Moe's. Um, Charlie's, maybe. Uh, I feel like Stella's is the most likely. The fact, like, she could have just been like, oh, I'm having some friends over, and the parents are like, all right, great, cool, whatever. Now, Bridget Bendler's narration goes like, just when things were looking up for Lemonade Mouth is when everything went to a total disaster. So they're playing at Dante's Pizzeria this Thursday. Uh, it's funny because you can tell they're like kind of just like totally chill with it now. They've probably been here a couple times. Like, Charlie is literally eating a piece of pizza with one hand and playing drums with the other. And Mo has a cold and she's sneezing. And so like, he's kind of throwing things off and Ray is literally like he's, uh, he's, Oh, what's the word I can't think of? Like, uh, it's usually used in, in comedy when like you're, why can I think of this word? Oh, it's so annoying. Uh, like you're harassing them from the crowd, like on stage. Oh man, man. Oh, this is so annoying. Oh, that's so annoying. I can't remember that word. Uh, whatever. Anyway, so Ray is yelling like, "Shut up, loser band!" And he, then he literally jumps on stage and grabs the mic out of Olivia's hands, which you would think would get him banned from this pizzeria for life, but instead it doesn't. And Olivia just kind of like lets it happen because uh, she's non-confrontational, I guess. And then everyone, some for some reason there's like a food fight that breaks out. Everyone's throwing plastic cups at each other. Which, well, why does everyone have plastic cups? Uh, and why are there so many? And why does P3, P3 even use plastic cups? Like, that seems like a pretty poor financial choice. Um, not to mention, uh, bad for the environment. And I know it's just like, because you're not going to have people throw glasses at each other. But also, like, all, the cups are empty too. Like, I feel like they could have just, they could have done that better. Maybe, like, why didn't you just have an actual food fight scene? Like, people throwing pizza at each other or, like, napkins. I don't know. But it seems total point, it's kind of pointless. Anyway, so now Charlie and Mo are walking home. And, uh... Charlie uh, tells tells Mo how he feels. Tells Mo that he likes her, which we, I don't know if we saw this coming, but there's a little bit of a subversion in terms of like because in decom you expect like you would have expected like oh Charlie and Mo are gonna end up together because we don't like Scott anymore, and but there's this subversion where she's like uh no we're just we're just friends Charlie and she's kind of like like a little bit mad not not mad at Charlie just like uncomfortable with the whole situation which you can understand but charlie does not take it well he, he gets like super defensive and he's like oh fine whatever uh fine i'll just run away and and most like mo like feels a little bit bad but mo's dad like saw charlie because they were outside mo's house and he gets all mad because he thinks they're dating and and mo's like why don't you trust me we're just friends and now like mo has a fever also so so that's kind of a, a whole a whole situation i think in the book mo and charlie do end up together and the reason, like, but Mo does reject Charlie initially because she doesn't want to go through a situation of like having to hide her boyfriend 
from her dad again, but they do actually end up together by the end of it, but not in the movie, which is interesting that Disney Channel wouldn't have taken that route. I don't know. Maybe they felt like because they were sacrificing other, like more, I don't know, raunchy is the right word, but like less decommy aspects, like the dead twin brother and whatever, explaining the prison situation more that they wanted to kind of make up for it a little bit here in a, in a small way. But anyway, Mo has a fever and Charlie is playing the drums at his house and he's all super angry, like Jason Newfield from going to the mat style, angry drums. And he's so mad that he like breaks his drumsticks and then he goes to the drawer to get another pair of drumsticks and then slams the drawer on his hand and like breaks his fingers or something. Uh, while this is happening, uh, Wen gets a black eye while hanging up a picture with his dad because while they're hanging the picture, dad's like, I want you to be my, my best man. And he's like, what? And like kind of loosens his grip on the picture and it falls into his eye. And it's a really painful scene to watch because it looks pretty realistic. And so now Mo has a fever. Charlie's got broken fingers. Wen has a black eye. Uh, then Olivia and Wen have like this big fight uh about like um when being all mad about like oh i don't want sydney into my family and olivia's like oh but i don't have a family i just have my grandma and you're getting mad that like that you're having too much family like you're such a dick and so and then they like keep yelling a little bit and when's like why'd you even join the band if you didn't like want to or something i don't i maybe didn't explain that super well but basically it's kind of revealed like olivia is like i did it for you you jerk and like oh did olivia like when is that why she joined the band basically we get, we get like we're supposed to imply that because olivia has done so much yelling in the scene that now she like starts coughing and she's lost her voice so maybe you can kind of see where this is going olivia's lost her voice Moe's a fever when's got a black eye charlie's got some broken fingers uh and now it's uh, the day of the rising star competition so things are not necessarily looking up for lemonade mouth um it's raining stella is at school and i think it's like a weekend and the reason she is at school on a weekend is because today they are removing the mel's lemonade machine so she is sitting behind the truck uh in its pathway so that it won't be able to back out because she is peacefully protesting because she is the greatest of all time and so she called her other four bandmates to come and help her protest and she's like, well, what happened to all you guys? You're all in, like, terrible condition. And so so the two, like, truck-moving guys, or whatever they're called, construction, I don't know, are like, come on, kid, enough playing around. You gotta, gotta move. We got, we got some more stops to make. And she says, are you really willing to support the rampant tyranny and oppression of the powerful over the voiceless? And so basically what they do is they pick her up to move her out of the way. Which they could, they could uh, Stella could probably file a lawsuit for that, of getting, like, I don't know, touched against her will or something. And the friends, Olivia and Mo and Wen and Charlie, instead of doing the smart thing, which would be to sit where Stella was just sitting and take her place there, uh, attack the carrier men. And somehow the cops are there in five seconds and the band is now in a holding cell. And I'm okay. What I'm most frustrated about with this scene is that the four friends of Stella's have no idea how to peacefully protest. They should have, I think I, I, just can't wrap my mind around the fact like why did they think that attacking the officers not the officers the uh carrier guys was a good idea instead of just sitting behind the truck and then you got this rotation going of like if the four of you all sit behind the truck and the men come to like i don't know pick up two of you then all of a sudden now stella's free and she can come back and like they're never gonna be able to get rid of all of you so now you're actually like you've got some momentum here in this protest and instead, they just attack, and now they're in a holding cell. And they all lay the blame on Stella. Charlie Charlie is like, it's pretty much all your fault, Stella. And everyone's mad at Stella. 
and they're like, oh, it's a disaster. We can't play. Look at us. We're in a cell and we're all sick and stuff and like broken bones or whatever. And they're like, oh, we can't do this. We can't do Rising Star. And they're just sitting there in silence. And then Charlie, here we go, starts tapping a coin on like the payphone, like or like whatever the rhythm was. And then like like most nuts like plucking her wristband. And and so it's like kind of it's very similar to the initial turn up the music scene, where it's like kind of you know stomp sort of music, and they're like they're like humming turn up the music, bum up bum up bum up the music, right? And I like one thing I appreciate in this movie, in this instance and another one a little bit later on, is that they really tried to to capture like the the acoustics of the room, like it really did like there was a little bit of echo without actually ruining the quality of the sound. Um, that actually made it sound like a holding cell. And also the, the good thing they didn't like make a continuity error by having Olivia sing, turn out the music. Like Stella takes over for her here because Olivia can't sing because she's lost her voice. So now we got like the parents all, or like maybe not parents, but like all come, people come to pick up all these people. And there are five separate heart to hearts. Some of them are more, more prominent than others. So basically Olivia's grandma, is says when i said get out of the house this isn't what i meant and she's all loving and stuff because we love olivia's grandma uh and then sydney comes to pick up when because uh, the dad's stuck in traffic or something and when like has learned his lesson or something about not you know taking sydney for granted or something or like being appreci- appreciative that like she cares about him so he gives her like a big hug and then mo lectures her dad about like please let me be myself don't be so overbearing and he's like all right fine i'll try and then okay charlie's brother who i guess is visiting from stanford or something comes to pick him up who we haven't seen at any point throughout this movie and his name is tommy and tommy is like you're you're lucky that i picked up the phone instead of mom and dad so that i came to pick you up and and tommy is like uh failing out of stanford or something he doesn't say failing but basically he's like yeah my grades aren't good this semester so how about like we'll approach mom and dad together i'll tell them that i'm have got bad grades and you tell tell them that you don't want to play soccer and you want to go to i don't know music school or whatever so i do think it's funny that like these two things are on the same level of like what a parent will be mad at like charlie's like i want to follow my dreams of playing the drums and and tommy is like uh i'm failing all my classes and those are supposed to be like the same level i don't know and okay we save the best for last stella and her mom who uh whose entire family is waiting in the car to go to rising star by the way yeah this really nice moment uh, honestly, it probably wasn't too hard to write, but it, it, it hits it hits anyway of the mom being like, "I'm so proud of you. You fight for what you believe in, even though you like aren't, aren't don't get good grades or something." And that's that one, and they hug and stuff. So now we're at Rising Star. Uh, Mudslide Crush is there. We don't know any other bands that are there in this competition, or like if it is like uh, I don't know a citywide thing. You would assume that like there would be lots of other bands in this competition. But Mudslide Crush plays a song called Don't You Wish You Were Us, which is absolutely awful. Worse than And The Crowd Goes. I give it a uh, two and a half on ten. Uh, it's basically, it's, it's the opening line is like, my girl is hotter than your girl. You know it, you know it. And that sets the tone for the entire song. Just terrible lyrics. And uh, yeah, not such a great sound either. Hey, whoa, yeah, whoa, don't you wish you were us. And and Lemonade Math is off in the wings like oh they're amazing like no they're not amazing they're so much better than them, uh so then uh the here comes the disaster determinate scene, uh Wen's bad playing doesn't make sense though, 
Uh, so basically, okay, before I get into that, here's how the scene plays out. So they get on stage, and Wen starts playing the piano for Determinate, right? But he keeps messing up because he has a black eye and he like he can't see, which is so dumb. Because first of all, just use your other eye to see the keyboard. Also, any piano player who's as good as Wen sounded allegedly like especially if you look at him and turn off the music like he's not even looking at the keys because he's a good piano player and good piano players don't actually have to look at the piano to be able to play the right keys so like that one isn't necessarily super realistic anyway uh so olivia's also lost her voice so she can't sing well and mo is like coughing and sneezing and charlie is like drumming half as well as he usually does because he has broken fingers and it just totally falls apart and one thing I love about this is that it really goes on for longer than you would expect. Like, if you want to get this point across, like, oh, yeah, they're bad now. It's a disaster moment for them. You could have probably encompassed that in, like, 10 seconds. But this goes on for, like, I think almost a minute of just them painfully falling apart on stage, trying to get some semblance of, like, a song sound going, and it just doesn't. And then, like, they all give up. And Olivia's just leaning on her microphone crying and it's awful it's so painful to watch and at one point they they're just walking off walking off the stage they give up and then here's where the girl the girl in the electric wheelchair comes back she's in the crowd and she starts singing she starts singing the terminate whatever the whatever the lyrics are um and yeah so i already talked about the systemic ableism that uh i was going to talk about here actually in my notes i was like talk about this here but i talked about it earlier instead uh with like, uh, she doesn't have even have the option to play, like, regular school sports. So, like, Lemonade Mouth comes along, and, like, that's, like, her only outlet of, of, of someone who, like, has a chance to, like, represent her on some sort of level. So now Scott, who's in Mudside Crush, comes out and joins them on stage. Like, they need help. They need help, man. And Ray, okay, this moment here where Ray is like, you do that, then you're out of the band for good. Like, that's supposed to be super dramatic, but, like, Ray, I don't I feel like they, they could have reshot that scene, because if you watch it, like, not Chris Brochu's strongest acting moment. Anyway, so Scott comes out and, like, plays guitar with them, and since Stella's fine, she's playing guitar, too. And the whole audience end, ends up standing up, singing Determinate, even doing the dance. And, okay, this is probably an unrealistic moment, at least somewhat, but what I like about it is the very realistic sound, like... They didn't add a backing track of drums or anything. They just have the two guitars and like this very chorus sounding singing of like, it sounds like it would sound if an audience were singing and two guitars were being on stage. So like to, to account for those things, kind of like they did in the holding cell again here, I really like. And the fact that it's this like a whole ass rock song to terminate and not something in the vein of like Breaking Free or This Is Me. Not that those aren't great songs, but, but this is different. It's more like more styled towards this movie towards the style of this movie and the message and meaning of this movie it's more revolution style and it's very like i like a chill inducing scene where you got like the whole band has given up and what they have done previously kind of makes up for the fact that now they're all kind of a disaster because their fans are all they're in it for them and their message uh, per se has spread throughout the entire audience and so their the whole like we matter thing we need to be heard thing like Oh, it's so nice. It's so nice. And they don't win Rising Star because, I mean, they didn't perform. Uh, but they don't actually say who won Rising Star. And I really hope it wasn't Mudslide Crush because they definitely don't deserve a record deal. So it was probably just some other band that was playing who we never heard of or ever saw. Um, 
Mo takes Scott back. That's the next scene. They get back together. And I can't help but wonder if it's just because he joined them on stage and if that was like an actual act out of the kindness of his heart or just because he wanted Mo back. Um, I'm still not totally sold on Scott on how they redeemed him, the story arc. Uh, very not sold on him. Charlie gets a random new love interest at the end, like whose name we don't even know and who like never even spoke at all. Wen gets a new cat for Olivia. And then uh, the movie ends with like kind of three things happening in a row. We've got Wen's dad and Sydney getting married now. We see their wedding. Uh, the, all the, the whole band is there. Uh, and Stella is sitting next to this guy, this like curly-haired guy who we don't know, we've never seen before, who's like, hey, that's my old college buddy up there. And Stella's like, that's my bandmate, Wen. The guy is like, oh, I used to be in a band, you know. Uh, but now I just own this lemonade company. And it's like, our business has skyrocketed recently. People can't get enough of it. And Stella's like, that you, Mel? And basically, it's Mel who owns Mel's Lemonade. It's at Wen's dad's wedding. And so what ends up happening is Stella gets Mel to sponsor a new auditorium for the school. So this massive auditorium gets built. And basically, now the principal, uh, they try to, like, redeem him slightly of being like, oh, look, we got this this music thing uh, and uh, yeah, it's good that he like now likes sports and music, but the principal is not redeemed, and that should be pretty obvious that he's only doing this because there's money in it, uh, and for no other reason. So yeah, we still hate the principal as much as we ever did, uh, and then we find out that like all the narrations throughout the movie was like a letter from Olivia to her dad, or like maybe not all of them, maybe just like near the end. I'm not really sure. And so she mails it, and now uh, their lemonade mouth is performing at Madison Square Garden. Uh, they sing Breakthrough. It's a 7.5 on 10. People like to make fun of, like, how quickly they skyrocketed from, like, the, they've had, like, a couple performances at a pizzeria and then, like, a terrible showing at Rising Star, and now they're just at MSG. Which, I mean, like, I don't know if it's, like, immediately after or if, like, maybe a year has passed, like, because they don't really make that clear. And I would, like, I would totally believe it. So, like, yeah, this was about a year later that they're, they've, like, had a skyrocketing. Like, that happens. That could totally happen. Um, so that's how the movie ends. I mentioned this earlier on. This is one of very few DCOMs that has actually gotten better with time, especially with like, you know, whole like revolution idea. Like, okay, there's been a lot of stuff going on in 2020, um, a lot of stuff. And, and so you could make the argument that we are on the brink of a revolution or needing a revolution. And so that's one of the reasons why like this year, Lemonade Mouth is really ringing true with a lot of people. Like I, when I finished watching uh, a movie, and I want to like see what people have, like what people's opinions are. Sometimes I'll just like Twitter search the name of the movie and see if anyone has said anything recently. And when you're looking for at a movie like Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off or Pixel Perfect, you won't find much. But Lemonade Mouth, people are saying things about Lemonade Mouth every single day. Like people are always like bringing this up. And I don't know if you, you might not see it, but it's there. People love Lemonade Mouth, ever, like probably more than they ever did. So the obvious allegory in this movie is capitalism like sports people are the ones like have everything they get more uh because they have more and everyone else if you don't have much then you won't get much and you'll get you'll get you'll get nothing basically so then then when they try to use their voices and stand up for something their lights get turned off and they get banned from the premises and their mics get turned off and they can't say anything so that's that's the whole idea with like having to have a revolution in lemonade mouth and in real life is because otherwise you're not going to get what you want and they, they only really win when there's money in it for the principal which is as sad as that is that like 
what about what about art club like are they still in the basement like i can't help but think like they try to frame it as a happy ending with like yeah lemony mass is a success, successful band and they got this new auditorium and it's absolutely fantastic but if they had added like a little bit of and there's still a lot of work to do or something at the end i would have probably appreciated that very much the best part of this movie i think or one of like the strongest devices is the pacing the segues from scene to scene are seamless the flow is so 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 good it never makes us feel like any character is getting like the i was gonna say short end of the stick but like that's kind of not true for charlie but like the fact that they balance like at least the other four like perfectly is awesome and charlie gets like a, a decent chunk a decent chunk it's not egregious and honestly it doesn't even bother me that the timeline is questionable which is saying something because i am usually very very much like uh what when is this what's like how, how much time has passed which maybe if I, if I paid closer attention it would bother me more but the fact that like everything just feels like one continuous motion of film of story it makes me not even really worry about like what day is it and um, one little one little question I want to talk about: How did Stella get their phone numbers when she texted them like uh, "fluke or destiny"? We need to talk. Like, how did she get those numbers? And I could see a situation where, like, uh, I don't know, maybe they exchange numbers in detention or something. But then it's like, why did she sign off her text? Maybe I don't know. She like hacked into some sort of software, or pff, I don't know. Anyway, that's just something to consider: is how did Stella get their phone numbers? The music, elite soundtrack, several elite songs. The Mudslide Crush ones are skips, though. Like, no question. Those are skips. Uh, the score was written by David Lawrence, same guy who scored the High School Musical movies. Um, Adam Watts and Andy Dodd wrote Turn Up the Music, and there were, there were a bunch of other composers who worked on this uh, the soundtrack. Lindy Robbins, uh, Reed Viternley, several others, including, like, six people on Determinate, including Adam Hicks, who, like, contributed songwriting on this one. Uh, but I, I want to talk about, like, what was written by Olivia and what is diegetic? Because, uh, like, I, it makes no sense how, how they want to have us believe, like, turn off the music and somebody were written by Olivia. But there's one scenario where it could make sense that those were written by Olivia and the other band members just know them instantaneously. And that is that the lemonade is magical. Uh, yeah, um, I, I've, this theory was actually introduced to me uh, recently on uh, Shane and Vicky's DCOM Clubhouse, another pretty entertaining Disney Channel original movie podcast, where they were like, yeah, the lemonade is probably magic. And I was like, I never thought of that, but it makes a lot of sense. They all are just all of a sudden, after all drinking the lemonade, on like a similar wavelength in terms of like similar goal and just like connecting musically also. Like, oh yeah, we're all playing this song. We're all perfectly in sync. And I think, yeah, you know, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Because, like, yeah, then they all play somebody together. And then, like, Olivia's all super nervous before their concert. And then she drinks the lemonade. Before the Halloween bash, I mean. And then she's perfectly good to go. And then when the lemonade machine gets taken out, that's when their show totally falls apart. So the lemonade's magical. Yep, that is, that's my new belief. And I'm going to stick to that. And it's going to take a lot for me to pry me off of that, that mindset. Uh, I want to talk a bit, little bit about the actors and the characters in this movie, starting with the, the villains, Ray is played by Chris Brochu, who's uh, Doug Brochu's brother, actually. Doug Brochu is the guy who played uh, played Grady in Sunny with a Chance, just a little fun fact. Uh, he he makes you hate him on, like, a decom villain level, like, um, you know, like, just mean teenage kid. But the principal, played by Chris McDonald, 
fills my spirit with a fiery rage. Like people, people love Sharpay and other decon villains. Like people can even like enjoy enjoy Ray for like entertainment value and stuff. Principal Brennigan is just hated so passionately, and he's really the worst character that that is probably any any decon ever. I mean, I say worst character. I want to be make it very clear i'm saying like worst person like most evil person obviously that probably means chris mcdonald's a pretty good actor if he can manage to pull that off so effectively so good for him but i mean yeah principal brennigan anyone who tries to redeem him in any sense like i just i don't have time for that argument bridget mendler i'll talk about her i guess first in terms of the main five ones i think she's really she's probably one of the best actors to ever come through the disney channel because because she always feels like any character she plays, like whether it was like Teddy Duncan or in this movie, or even like when she played a vampire on Wizards of Waverly Place, she just feels like a normal person all the time. And so like the fights and angry moments seem so real too, because it's like, I feel maybe it's, I don't know if it's easier or harder to just be a normal person when you're acting, but I feel like, yeah, it's probably harder. It's probably hard. I had never really acted before, but like, if you want to, if you want to be believable in acting, Bridget Mendler, I, I honestly, I forget she's playing a character whenever I watch her in this movie or in, or in anything else really. Cause she's so extremely talented and like Olivia's stage fright, maybe could have been portrayed a little bit better. Like, I don't know if that was like totally believable, but like her one example that comes to mind is like her hesitancy to let went into her house because like, she's never really had people over to her house. It's like, she's like looks around inside her house, doesn't really want to open the door, like come in and is kind of awkward about it. Um, Blake Michael was probably the worst actor of the main four. He was 14, so I don't know. I guess that, ex- that excuses it. Also, the fact that Charlie was pushed aside a little bit kind of maybe has something to do with it. Um, and maybe his character also felt a little underdeveloped because, like in the book, he probably like he had a really heavy storyline because of his dead twin brother. And when you remove that, they're like it feels a little more shallow compared to the other characters. Naomi Scott, uh, one thing actually, I find it really funny when characters have to like hide their accents or like take on a different accent in a movie. Like Greg Sulkin has a British accent and he tries to like do an American accent in uh, in Avalon High. And it's like the same thing here with Naomi Scott. She's hiding a British accent. And, like Maya Mitchell hiding her Australian accent in the, in the Teen Beach movies. Uh, but people love Mo. People love this character. She's always been a fan favorite. Uh, and it's not common in, in decoms for a character to explicitly be like hiding a significant other from their parents and sneak around, especially using that as a major plot device for a character. So that that's really interesting I found. And I mean like she's probably like the fourth best of the four, fourth best actor of the four at this point. But this was like her first big role. So like that's understandable. And she's obviously, you know, uh, super great now. I mean, I already mentioned she was in Aladdin. Like that's a super big deal. Uh, Adam Hicks, I'll talk about him next. Uh, you probably heard a couple of years ago he was arrested for armed robbery, which is uh, a big deal probably. But he ha- hasn't actually been on trial yet because I think he was a judge to be like not in a mentally stable enough condition to be on trial. So I am not going to make a commentary on what's going on there because I don't really know. And I don't think anybody really knows. I just hope like Adam Hicks turns out fine because I mean, not even just cause he's a great actor, just cause I hope anybody turns out fine, but he is a great actor too. In this movie, when is a mixed bag? He makes a lot of three sixties. I'd say, like, 
not like 180s actually yeah that makes a lot of 180s he talks in absolutes he's like i'm in i'm in so enthusiastic about the band and like he gets a black guy and he's like i'm out no way we can't do this what's there to talk about and it's also cool with adam hicks to see like someone in a lead role who doesn't really fit the disney channel aesthetic like i don't i don't know like maybe he's not conventionally attractive if i don't know if that's like an extremely polite way to put it but in my opinion he isn't necessarily and also the fact that he has a lisp like it's cool to see an actor who has has a lisp taught like being in a lead role and not trying to hide the lisp or anything and then we got Haley kiyoko playing stella yamada in this movie Haley kiyoko is my favorite actor in this movie um she is a musician now that's like her, her main thing i don't think she's done a crazy amount of acting and her fans unironically refer to her as lesbian jesus that's her nickname when like she her big break in music was like i think about five years ago she direct or co-directed a music video of one of her songs called girls like girls uh starring stephanie scott from ant farm stella yamada is not just the greatest character in this movie she is not just the greatest character in any decom ever yes that's any decom ever she is the greatest role model in the history of the walt disney company I don't even have to see every Disney movie to know that. You know why? Because Stella Yamada is the perfect role model for children and for adults, people of all ages. I, I didn't realize it when I first watched this movie in 2011. I, I didn't realize because there was no one else like Stella Yamada on the Disney Channel. Not on any show, not in any DCOM. I can't even think of a comparable. Stella Yamada is the main reason why Lemonade Mouth is even more beloved today than when it first came out we understand her now we understand her motives now we all want to be exactly like her and disney channel creating more characters in the style of stella yamada not just her personality but she's also a woman of color and she's gay and she does not shy away from confrontation and she's a leader that's what we need more characters like her for kids to look up to and strive to be like lemonade mouth is stella yamada's movie you can make Bridget Mendler narrate, but this story belongs to Stella Yamada. Who's the one who just moved here? Yeah, this rev revolution, as they call it, started swinging into motion the very day Stella Yamada showed up. Who's the one with the energy to constantly take a stand on the right side of every dilemma against her parents, against her brothers, against the principal? Who's the one who signed up the band for Halloween Bash and for Rising Star? Who's the one who single-handedly got the band together to agree to have a rehearsal? Who's the one who riled up the crowd at the Halloween bash, who actually got everyone to give a shit about the cause? Who put Lemonade Mouth on the map? Who's the one who peacefully protested the removal of the lemonade machine and thought she could count on her friends to help protest with her? Who's the one who wasn't battered and bruised somehow on the day of Rising Star because she had been through it, man, and she has come back out the other side and she knew exactly what she was getting into? Who's the one who got an entire auditorium built for the school? It's Stella Yamada. Stella Yamada pushed this band, this story, this community forward against its will. And if there were more people like Stella Yamada, then people like Stella Yamada would finally be able to actually get some rest. Last thing I want to say in this episode of Disney Channel Discourse is uh, Lemonade Mouth is still very open for a sequel. Lemonade Mouth 2. Still very open for that. There was actually a sequel in the works uh, right after this one came out. 
But uh, it got canceled because it got canceled, I guess. They said, Disney Channel said that it was because they felt like they had already finished telling the story or something. But there was probably some something else behind it. I don't really know because this story is not done. There's a lot they can do, especially this might be one of those movies where it's actually more effective to have a sequel like 10 or I don't know, maybe a little more than 10 years later, if it doesn't happen within the very near future due to circumstances. Obviously, if Adam Hicks is not fit to act or, be, or work or be in a movie or anything, then it's probably off the table. But in a hypothetical scenario where he's back and, and running up again, doing things great, then Lemonade Mouth 2 is totally a possibility of them, you know, being on tour. I don't know. Uh, kind of like a, like a road trip movie in the style of Rain Man. We'll see. There are lots of possibilities for this. So that is the end of this episode of Disney Channel Discourse. Uh, I discussed Lemonade Mouth, as I'm sure you can tell by now. Uh, next week, I'm probably going to discuss a TV show and very probably with a guest on it.